Matt Lloyd joining us, the Chief Investment Strategist at Advisors Asset Management. Matt, is this the first crisis of good data? I mean, I've only been covering markets for a little over a decade, but it seems pretty bizarre to me that we have such a poor reaction to such a surprisingly good employment picture. Is that not what runs the economy? You know, you hit on some great points in the sense that we, we always say, if you get married to a narrative, it's easy to get divorced from reality. And so sometimes we disregard some mm -hmm. of the news that's already happening for this predisposition and this uh, already thought of confirmation bias. So the news today is interesting when bad news turns to good news and good news turns to bad news. It's what kind of news is really out there. You see the same thing on this and really what shook the markets is that this gives a bigger runway because this year started with the Fed funds futures, everyone expecting it to be at 0.82% by year end. Now we're at 433, 440. It's creeping up every, every day. And the issue is that the markets cannot adjust to that. It's like playing a, a golf hole that starts out as a par three and now we're at a par eight and then it's <laughs> going to be par 10. And so you're, what you're seeing is this constant recalibration at some point. The capitulating moment may be just the thrust of everyone just saying, I'm not buying anything, I'm going to stay in cash, which gets us to the bottom much quicker. But to your point, you know, again, there's not a lot of lucidness going on in the evaluation of the data metrics because we have this uh, predisposition to the markets. Okay, I really like uh, the way you described that there. Now, if uh, this is the, standard, the status quo right now and kind of the standard relationships we should assume until something changes, where do we look in history for answers? Do we go to dot-com and Greenspan was popping the internet bubble, hiking rates, dollar was rising? Uh, because the implications there would be we might have to wait a decade for an Amazon or a Microsoft to get back to the highs. Yeah, I, I think, again, history is always, you know, written in the bias of, of, of the authors, as Mark Twain said. So I think when you look at it, we, we never really learn the lessons. We kind of repeat the same things. We think we're so evolved, but behavioral economics and finance always rears its head. Like Y2K was tulip mania part 5.0. And, you know, the great financial crisis was a classic bank run just on a global scale. So the history does teach us, but I do think it's it's moved from a deja vu moment to a vuja day. And the vuja day is basically when you have something that's familiar but has a new concept, and that's the economic framework that we're looking at. The elevated inflation's here for a while with globalization pretty much already you know, peaked out, the diminishing rates of return of that you know, shifting outward, the just-in-time manufacturing to just-in-case is shifting a lot of the, the manufacturing and output and storage. So when you look at those things, you, you have to look and say, okay, well, what does history tell us? Well, history tells us that we're probably looking at the economic cycles, expansion cycles of 1960 to 1991 and not 1991 to 2022. Hmm. What that means is you still have moments of growth, but you need to be more tactical in your asset allocation. You have to invest at the credit cycle as well as the market cycle with your investments. And what that means is instead of having an expansion last about nine years, like we've seen the last three decades, it'll probably last every four and a half years. Inflation short circuits it. The yield curve doesn't steepen as much. And so having that framework actually offers some great opportunities. You just have to be more active. You have to be more dynamic. And dare I say, a bit contrarian, which really works in fixed income, but hasn't worked that well in equities. I think you're touching on something that is super important, which is about that growth cycle and the duration in which it lasts. We're pre-COVID. We had the longest bull market. We had a very stretched, slow, but very long recovery post-great financial crisis. Many describe the Fed's monetary policy of being accommodating as trying to dampen the business cycle of the volatile 
past of those booms and busts. But if we tried to compress those cycles by pushing this spring down to where now it has snapped back, I think about rates going down to a floor where we chose to not go negative interest rates, but since we hit zero, where else do they go but up from here? How long could this rising rate environment last? Well, you get a point when you have to look at a secular move in rates, takes many cycles to get across. And really, to your point, the Fed raises until we get to that terminal rate when there's a recession and demand destruction. It can be a depression. It can be just a, a shallow recession, which is more what we see in this next round because of the basically deleveraging of balance sheets on the corporate side from interest rates. They you know, refinance. They shifted their maturities out. Uh, you look at the household balances. They've increased dramatically. The bottom in 07, you saw a three to four to one increase in cash positions in households versus debt. And that was a big spur because that shifted the DNA because that great financial crisis really shifted what people expect. And so we've raised the bar on what that liquidity aspect is, and we kind of need to shift along with it. But to the point, the Fed is going to keep doing what it does. It looks at the unemployment, looks at inflation and the fluidity of markets. And that shift now is going to move to looking at the credit markets. Where does a strain in there come about? Uh, we're starting to see little cracks, nothing major, but just you know, it, new issues not being able to come out. We're seeing like a slight uptick in the corporate financing gap from the Fed flow of funds. But then you got to look at the currency side. And the dollar, it's interesting. When you look at the dollar, the biggest rise year to date, and that we've seen in an annual since 1967. But if you go back, whenever you've had this kind of massive return, the next following years, it actually starts to subside. It actually does very poorly versus relative currencies, mostly in the second year after this peak. So hmm. we think the dollar is a little vulnerable. It's probably not there yet. There's probably another surge in there. And this is maybe more a rate trade issue, but it's also a risk off trade. And at some point when we get the markets feeling like we're at the bottom, the accommodation phase maybe comes in. And that accommodation phase may not be like last time's accommodation phase. But even a subtle move starts to kind of shift the markets and it finds a bottom. But ultimately, the, the Fed in their history is really what you, you would have got to look at. And you never fight the Fed. And really, they're taking this until they can demand get the demand destruction in place to cause some of this inflation to come down because they really don't know quite how to handle it because they haven't had to in a long period of time. Matt, um, uh, there's so much I want to probe here, but as we're limited on time, uh, kind of a focused last question. Uh, how will we know, what do you think we should be looking for to figure out when we've worked off enough froth and we can normalize? Might it be when the market responds to data in a traditional way? Like maybe we rally on good data, sell off on bad? I mean, do we need to get like a capitulation earnings where people go, oh, okay, or does the Fed actually need to slam us with recession to reset the process? Yeah, I think it's going to be a combination of both. And I think the capitulating moment is one of those things you will never be able to describe it in theory, but you'll know it when you're in it. And that's the part that's really hard to describe. So you got to take these kind of moments when you see a correction in the markets of 20 plus, 30 plus percent, individual security is much greater. If you're a long-term investor, have a systematic and methodical approach and look at that. Um, we're probably closer to that than not, but mm. this last part will be a combination of not only the market prices and then also not really reacting to bad news. 
to your point, but it'll also start to see where some of the credit markets kind of heal a bit more as well. And that's where you probably want to start out is in some of the credit markets in some of those securities. But the credit's going to give us the clue first before the bottom. And then obviously the negative news on the recession is going to get worse, but that doesn't mean the markets get worse. Uh, in fact, the markets are already forecasting that. So when the markets actually start to move and stabilize and the news gets worse, that's when you're probably at the bottom or pretty darn close. It sounds like maybe you think there's still a shoe to drop in corporate credit? Uh, there's a little bit in corporate credit just from a natural reaction, more from a liquidity aspect, meaning the, the dealers out there, the bid-ass integrity, and not just in corporate markets, not just in the treasury market, which the liquidity there is very weak as well, not much integrity, but we're seeing it in the equity side. Once you start to see that bottom, when all of a sudden some of the light volume starts to get absorbed, you're pretty close. The credit markets are just going to be a natural widening, but we don't think it's going to be as bad as normal. In fact, actually, the high yield default rate might be uh, far less than what people expect hmm. because they shifted out their maturities. And also the hmm. fact is they deleverage their balance sheets from some of the interest rate costs. So you're going to see probably not the same impact you saw in past recessions in the credit markets. But uh, I think that's going to give you a good clue about when this turns around. And not we don't expect a widespread, but you want quality. I will say this, in quality and equities, Cash flow is king. Quality in the debt markets, you want to have higher grade, higher rated issues that have good pricing power and obviously have uh, low servicing costs. Okay, so you're looking for a little bit more deterioration in credit, but not like a major collapse or not a massive spike in, in bankruptcies or uh, uh, defaults. Okay, uh, Matt, great conversation. Uh, very interesting times. Thanks for helping us figure it out. Hey, thanks for having me. Matt Lloyd, Chief Investment Strategist and Advisors Asset Management.